Today we conclude our sermon series, our teaching series entitled Perspectives. During this series, we have been looking at different Bible characters or different characters in one Bible story for each character has something unique to contribute to the story, something that we can learn from, something that they have to teach us. We've been bringing the idea of perspective also to how we read scripture. We are trying to get away from the idea that a Bible passage is just saying one thing, but instead it has layers. And learning to read the layers of scripture is so very important. It's important to understand what God is saying to us and can actually become quite transformative. The story for this series is from Luke chapter 5, the fascinating story of a paralyzed man being bought by friends, brought by friends and lowered through a roof in order to put him in front of Jesus. This story can be found in all three synoptic gospels in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Let me remind us of the journey that we have been on. We began our series by considering the perspective of the man on the mat, known by his limitations, in a position of incredible vulnerability. Are we able to recognize ourselves on the mat in need of healing ourselves? Instead of armoring up and thinking that we can do it all ourselves, are we able to trust others with the parts of our lives that are not so tidy and put together? Are we able to receive compassion and let ourselves be loved? We put ourselves in the shoes of the friends who carried the paralyzed man, their friend, to Jesus, and we gave thanks together for the miracle of friendship. Who are the people who carry us? when we no longer have the power to carry ourselves? Are we cultivating friendship? And how are we taking care of others? We explored what we can learn from the perspective of the homeowner who has a crowd descend upon their home, allowing their roof to be torn apart and for the miracle to happen. Are we seeing the opportunity of what God can do as we give our resources and share them, our possessions, all that we have, and see what God can do with that. Last week, we considered the point of view of the Pharisees, the well-trained religious leaders who have enormous power and influence, who were doing their job as they understood it to protect the religious system. It's important to recognize how we are like the rule-following Pharisees. Can we choose vulnerability and learn to be risk takers and to use our authority in a way that causes others to flourish? Which brings us to today. And today we are going to consider this final Sunday together, the point of view of Jesus and to see how this story unfolds from his perspective. Considering Jesus' perspective, I know, is challenging to do because, well, Jesus is Jesus, and we are not. With that in mind, let's listen now to God's word for us. One day while he was teaching, 
Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting nearby. They had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Just then, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a bed. They were trying to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, who is this who is speaking blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their questionings, he answered them, why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, stand up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the one who was paralyzed, I say to you, stand up and take your bed and go to your home. Immediately he stood up before them, took what he had been lying on and went to his home, glorifying God. Amazement seized all of them and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen strange things today. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Oh God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, may it all be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'd like to invite us to think about the whole of our lives, our physical well-being, our spiritual health, our mental health, our relationships with family and friends, our work and our service, our giving. In a world where we feel pulled in a thousand different directions, We wonder if we can have a sense of balance or harmony. The Bible has something to say about this. In recent months, Covenant staff, elders, and deacons have benefited from time with a friend of this community, Rhett Smith, a licensed marriage and family counselor, therapist, who was trained in both theology and psychology. Earlier this week, Rhett presented a program at our annual Joint Elder Deacon staff meeting on COVID mental health and self-care, leading yourself and others well. Rhett reminded us that as we take care of ourselves, there are a lot of ripple effects as we serve out in the world. For when we take care of ourselves, those we are in relationship with benefit as well. At one point, Rhett invited us to to consider self-care. Self-care or compassion being the work that we do to nourish our life, your life, that serves as a conduit of grace to others. To frame our conversation, Rhett used Luke 10, 27, part of the parable of the Good Samaritan. When a lawyer asked Jesus, what does one need to do in order to inherit eternal life? 
We see here in Luke 27, the great commandment, citing Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. Or as Eugene Peterson translates this in the message, love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and muscle and intelligence. Jesus teaches that relationship with God is what gives life. The chief end of human God is to love God wholly with our whole selves. With this in mind, <clears throat> Rhett then invited us into the following exercise. He invited us to take out a piece of paper or maybe a, a tablet and to mark off four categories on the top. Emotional, spiritual, physical, and mental. Write those four ca uh, categories down and then write down as many things under those four categories that come to mind for you. Maybe do this for a week or for a month and see if you have a good flow or rhythm. That was Rhett's biggest encouragement to us, to see if we are de developing a good rhythm over time instead of trying to do everything every day. Maybe you focus on just one category for a while or one particular thing in each of the four categories. A few examples that he gave to us. Emotional, how is your connection with others? How are you nurturing your relationships? Maybe this is scheduling a date night or a meal with a really good friend. Spiritual, how are you fostering, nurturing your relationship with God? What about your prayer life, your worship life? Is there a spiritual practice that you could try on for a period of time. Mental, this is engaging a hobby. What are you reading? Are you learning something new? Physical, things like exercise, sleep, and nutrition. This exercise is a way that we can be attentive to ourselves and a way that we can engage one another with those we share life with, asking how are we doing in these four categories. I offer this exercise to you as a way to pay attention and reflect upon your whole life. For Jesus is concerned with our whole selves. In our divided and compartmentalized world, the Christian task is to live integrated lives and overcome compartmentalization, the separation and division that is dictated by our culture. In today's passage, Jesus finds himself in a very chaotic scene. Everybody wants more of him. Needs are everywhere. Where do you focus your attention? I know that all of you who are parenting children can relate to where Jesus finds himself. Several years back, as part of my doctoral work, I had the valuable experience of making a two-year journey with a coach in company with a dozen students from around the world. The aim of this experience was to bring forth calling and, and contribution in order to help us to, to discern and to focus. Our coach, Terry, used words like calling and contribution frequently. While my unique contribution comes more clearly in focus as I continue to journey through life every year, I am always aware that my greatest challenge is the allocation of my time and resources. 
and learning to choose wisely. From an infinite range of possibilities, I imagine this is true for some of you. I am more clearly recognizing the things that God wants me to do, but live with the ongoing struggle of prioritizing what I am uniquely gifted to do over all the many things that I could do. Which is when my coach asked this question during one of our mentor phone calls. Of all the things you can do, what must you do? Of all the things you can do, what must you do? It's a great question to consider if we want to grow in our ability to live a life focused by gifts and calling. I believe this question sheds light on what appears to be Jesus' priority in this passage. Of all the things Jesus can do, what must he do? Jesus came to settle the issue of forgiveness once and for all. Isaiah 53.5 explains, He was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. Jesus came that we might have life and have it to the full. John 1.9 lets us know that Jesus, Lamb of God, came to take away the sin of the world. It was no longer about sacrifice in the temple. It was about him. Friends, because of God's gracious intervention in Christ, we see Jesus' ministry to the whole person. Forgiveness of sins is at the heart of this passage, and what Jesus perceives is the paralyzed man's deepest need which informs our considerations for our whole selves and how we are loving God with our heart and our mind and our soul and our strength. We've got to make sure that we are not missing taking care of nurturing our interior life, taking care of our spiritual health. Friends, the gospel is forgiveness. This is what God has done for us. Although we have sinned, there is forgiveness of sins, not because of anything that we have done, but because of the the entirety of Jesus' work on our behalf. God is here in the flesh and has chosen to forgive. God forgives us, and we now forgive, doing the hard work of bearing with each other. Jesus then gives his disciples, the church, the privilege of being entrusted to the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. It's a remarkable thing. The total healing of human beings is made possible by the power of God. A part of the gospel is that Jesus has authority to forgive sins and to heal. These are two dimensions that characterize the kingdom of God. Sure, he heals along the way. But the clear priority of Jesus we see in this passage is the forgiveness of sins. To reconcile us to God and to one another 
which is confounding because we are confronted yet again with the reality that God's ways are not our ways. How do we respond to that? We have to sit in that. God's mission to restore brokenness in every one of us comes in a way we do not expect. Jesus simply was not what the people expected. And he ushers in a radically different kingdom than they ever could have anticipated. He will have victory, but it will be very different than what the people are looking for. Once again, we are confronted with some of the most difficult parts of our faith, one being that God's ways are not our ways. The crowd longed for Jesus to heal. That is what they hoped for. And he does physically heal the paralyzed man, but seems especially concerned about his spiritual condition. Friends, what are you hoping for? What is the one true desire of your heart? The one thing that you long for God to take care of and change, the hoped-for future that will be different than the past. We all have those places. And then what do you do when God comes to you in ways that do not match your expectations? Maybe he hasn't shown his power in a way that you have hoped for. Maybe in your perspective, he hasn't provided. Maybe he hasn't healed. Perhaps you do not understand why you have to carry a particular burden. Maybe someone you love is suffering. That's the rub of the gospel, that the Jesus that we want, the Jesus we desperately want, and the Jesus that we get are not always in alignment. What do we do with that? Perhaps it drives us back to the crucial question that everyone is wondering in this story, who is this man? Who is this Jesus? Where has he come from? What has he done? What is he doing? What does he promise to do? Who is this Jesus and what does he mean for the world? Can we trust him? Will we follow him? A stunning biography by Laura Hillenbrand could be, I believe, commentary on this text. This book is, the book is the New York Times bestseller, Unbroken, a World War II story of survival, resilience, and redemption. A movie was made based on this book. It's the amazing story of the life and the experience of Louis or Louis Zamperini. Louis was born in New York to Italian immigrants. His family spoke no English when he arrived at Torrance, California, which made him an easy target for bullying. He had a knack for getting in trouble. He was an angry and rebellious teenager with a passion for alcohol and fighting. Sports saved the young Louis's life. He was a really fast runner and received an athletic scholarship to USC. Louis set NCAA track records and was an Olympic distance runner. He had a bright future in front of him and was within sight of the four-minute mile when the Second World War came. 
Louis served in the Pacific during the war as an airman. There, his plane crashed. He spent 47 days in shark-infested waters in a life raft in the Pacific before being captured and sent to a Japanese prisoner of war camp where he was tortured for two years. He lived in a wooden cell the length of a man and not much wider than his shoulders. He endured daily beatings and torture. One particular Japanese tormentor nicknamed the bird was especially brutal and inhumane. The middle section of the book is not easy reading. What Louis lived through is truly beyond comprehension. Finally, the war came to an end. However, although free from his prison cell, Louis was most definitely not free. He was tormented by nightmares, angry, resentful, and on the verge of losing his family. In the early years home, a journey back to Japan was his obsession because he wanted to find and murder the ones who had ruined his life. Until he experienced a dramatic conversion to Christ during a tent revival in Los Angeles led by a young evangelist named Billy Graham, attending because of the encouragement of his wife. Soon after, Louis realized he had to forgive in order to be free. In 1950, he returned to Japan. He went not to avenge himself, but to answer a question. If he were to see his tormentors, would the peace that he had found prove resilient? He meets with some of the captors. He writes a letter forgiving his former Japanese tormentor. He hopes that good things will come their way. He even tried to, he tried to track down the bird who refused to meet him. Who is able to do that? No one would have ever blamed him if he held on to hatred and resentment. If anyone was justified to harbor hate, it was Louis Zamperini. He had lived through unspeakable things, but God specializes in setting captives free. Louis Zamperini bore witness to the life-changing power of a new identity in Christ. He believed he was a new whole creation, and he lived like one. My friends at Hollywood Press who knew Louis attest to the fact that he was a remarkable, joyful, transformed man until his death at the age of 97. An encounter with Jesus changes everything. The gospel is this in the words of Tim Keller. We are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hoped.
That's what Jesus sees. Jesus sees people and families and institutions and societies in all creation needing to be put right and to be made new. Friends, the good news of the gospel of Jesus is we are forgiven. We are forgiven, met by God in love. We hope that you will continue to use the idea of perspectives in how you read Scripture as you plumb the depths, mine the depths of Scripture, paying attention, recognizing the fact that a Bible passage has more than just one thing to say. And as you do, remember that Scripture is not just a text to be studied. It is a living word, a word that still speaks to us today. So along with those crammed in that ancient house, let us leave this day with amazement at who Jesus is, at what he does, and what he can do. For Jesus is wholeness among us, and he is making all things new. All glory and praise belong to him and to him alone. Let's give thanks and pray together. Oh, gracious God, we pray to encounter you and to be changed. Release us and set us free to live with joy and freedom. God, we praise you that a new way of living in the world is here because of Jesus Christ. To him be glory and praise, honor and power, this day and forevermore. Amen.